This is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 99 of the Rebel Author Podcast. I am like giddy saying 99. That means next week I will get to say the big 100. Um, oh, so excited. But first, uh, today I am talking to Matty Dalrymple all about how to write, market and publish and utilise and make the most of your short fiction. It's a really interesting conversation and uh, I really recommend you read the short Tact, um, which is her book she co-wrote with Mark Leslie Lefebvre, all about uh, writing and marketing and publishing short fiction. I've actually recommended the book once before, um, but I will make sure there are some links in the show notes. First to last week's question, which was, how do you format your books? Erin McKnight said, I'm using Readsy. It has come highly recommended to me by several authors and will save me a pretty penny if all goes according to plan. Natasha Bax says, I did my own formatting last time and didn't find it too bad, but I am going to explore professionals this time to see if I can reduce some of my workload. I have other things I should probably be focusing on. This week's question is, how do you use short fiction in your business? Do you use it? Do you not use it? Um, do you like to read it even? Yeah, talk to me about short fiction, reading, writing, and everything in between. There's no real book recommendation this week because um, I'm going to be completely honest, I've been doing a lot of binge watching of Scandal um, in the evenings over the last few weeks, so my reading rate has dropped significantly, uh, and I am about to pick it back up. We are very close to having finished all seven seasons of Scandal. I have to say, I was talking to uh, Chloe about this last night, I don't remember the last time we both got hooked on a show so so intensely as this it must have been a long long time um I've really thoroughly enjoyed watching it um completely and utterly hooked and I have to say Shonda Rhimes just I'm in awe of her um however <laughs> it's now impacting the amount of books that I've read this year um and also the fact that I need to do some serious input for my next non-fiction book so um I have said to Chloe we're gonna have to binge even harder over the next sort of five nights so that we can finish watching uh, Scandal because I cannot not know what happens um and then I am going to not watch tv for probably the rest of the year so that I can catch up with all of the binge reading that I have to do. Um, so yeah, no book recommendation this week because also I was mentioning uh, The Short Tack, which I know has been a recommended book before, but I still, um, I still agree with my prior recommendation. And I'm going to recommend my course, The Anatomy of Prose, The Senses course. Why am I recommending it this week? Well, because I've been on holiday on my holobobs, um, I got a bit delirious and excited and thought I would do a discount. So I am giving a 15% off my course uh, until the end of August. So the discount code is rebelvak 15 So rebel and then V-A-C-A-Y 15, the number 15. And I will put that discount code in the show notes along with the link to the course. Um, 
What is the course about? Well, if you want to improve your writing um, and specifically your sensory uh, writing and descriptions, then this course is for you. If you're worried that your prose might be flat or full of weak descriptions, if you're ready to power up your writing and create prose that grips your reader to the page, then this course is for you. Inside the course, I share everything I've learned about creating sensory rich writing. I show you the psychology behind the senses as well as how to connect sensory detail with memory to deepen both your characterization and imagery. Emotion and the emotional journey your hero goes on is the foundation of any good story and what creates and enhances emotion? Sense-rich writing. The course is jam-packed full of useful tips and tricks to make you think about the senses in new and unique ways. By the end of the course, your writing will be richer, deeper and more powerful. So if you would like to um, study the course, it's over three hours of content and there are some bonus videos at the end. I think there's a presentation on heroes and one on villains and then um, I actually like live edit, uh, well, it's pre-recorded video, but I talk through uh, me editing the first page of someone's work. Um, so that is in the course as well. And you get to see um, it from an edit, you get to see editing from an editor's perspective. So yeah, if you want to get that course, then um, you can at sashablack.thinkific.com. Um, and the discount code again is rebelvacay15 the number 15. And again, all of that's in the show notes. Okay, in personal update then, I did have this week off. Um, I was with my son, we did lots of exciting things. We went to Duxford Air Museum and saw some crazy aeroplane acrobatics. Um, I'm trying to think what else. By the time this airs, I will have been to Hitchin Lavender as well, uh, which I'm going on a research trip for, uh, for The Scent of Death. Uh, book that I'm writing and um, we've done some other things although I'm literally drawing a blank now um, on all of this but anyway we, we've had a jam-packed week and um, I've realised that I'm really still quite tired. I woke up this morning feeling, not this morning, yesterday sorry, I woke up feeling tired, head coldy so I did a Covid test but it was negative and it is just exhaustion, surprise surprise. Um, yeah, but my son is going to my mum's uh, to stay for a few days next week, so I think I will probably recoup a bit then. Um, yeah, I mean, because I've not been at work, I've not been doing a huge amount, but what I can say is I've done a huge amount of thinking. And um, probably one of the biggest things um, that I'm changing when I come back next week is that I will be putting my writing and words, drafting new words first every single morning. And uh, I told patrons uh, that I am going to be doing something called Silent September. So I will be writing from 7am till 8am in UK time every morning. And I'm going to do it on Zoom because being accountable really works for me. And there won't be any time for mics to come off. There will be only silence. Um, so we won't be distracted in any way. And um, sort of three minutes before the end, I'll just ask in the chat box how everybody's done. But patrons will be able to join me. Um, so yeah, if you're a patron and you're listening and uh, you haven't seen the announcement in Patreon, then uh, go head over and have a look. Um... That is going to be every weekday morning from 7 until 8. And um, I will then be doing my own extra hour uh, once I've done the school run in September. But I am determined to get a better, uh, more consistent 
uh, writing routine because I want to do at least four books a year and unless I prioritise the words that isn't going to happen. I've done like a ridiculous amount of thinking um, as I mentioned and I am changing a few other things but um, I think that's probably the only one I want to talk about uh, right now. Um, I still haven't done the lessons learned, I'm aware of that. Uh, and the other thing that I am going to do is a lesson learned on the um, anthology. I've started reading the Rebel Diaries entries and um, there are a few things that I've noticed that lots of um, submissions have done. Uh, some excellent, some uh, there's sort of consistent things that I would, um, what is the diplomatic way of saying this? Um, I guess some things that would improve submissions. I've noticed some patterns in submissions. Um, and so I'm probably going to do a lessons learned. I might actually do it on the Next Level Authors podcast uh, because Dan has also done anthologies over the last couple of years. So it might be worth, if you're not listening to that podcast, hopping over and subscribing uh, just so that you can see when we do that. It won't be for a little while. Um, I want to get through all of the submissions before we do it. Um and uh, but yeah it might be worth following just so that you can see when that episode comes in if you are interested in um short fiction uh what else is new for me when i come back to work next week so already by this by the time this airs i will be working on next week i will be working on three projects so i will be working on finishing so i'm only going to have two projects on the go but um, one i don't think is going to take very long to finish so i will be finishing the audiobook first and drafting a non-fiction project um and then once I finish the audiobook, I will be wor working on Trey. So, yeah, <laughs> that's it. Like, that is my my next three things are uh, to, to work on a non-fiction project draft-wise, uh, to edit Trey, and to finish the audiobook. So that is going to be the bulk of next week. There are a few other things um, that I am doing just with my strengths and uh, on the back of the the Becca Syme conference that I took a couple of weeks ago. Finally feel like I've had enough time to process. Um, so yeah, I've got like a whopping to-do list. And like my focus for the rest of the year is basically to finish projects. I've had to say no and pull out of a few things uh, just because basically what I was finding is that I didn't want to disappoint people. And so that was stopping me uh, basically I was saying yes to a lot of things and that was then preventing me from working on the things that I want to work on so I was just spending my time working on things for other people and that was even though I was obviously uh, helping other people um, I was disappointing myself <laughs> so um, yeah I'm I've actually in the process of creating a no list which sounds like I'm babying myself but um, it really helps in that uh uh, moment of decision to have a list of things that I will be saying no to um, and being able to see that and refer to that when I have to make a decision that might be a more emotional decision you know somebody that I want to work with or or do something for will be easier because for the business I have a list of things that I can't do and it's not that I'm not going to be doing them ever again <laughs> it's just that I'm not going to be doing them for the rest of this year because I have to finish these 
fucking books that I've had open forever. So yeah, and then next year's a new story because uh, you know, I, I'm hoping that I will be able to start the year afresh with no unfinished projects. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm excited to come back to work next week. Um, yeah, I don't think I, I don't think I, I want to go into any more detail. I don't think at the moment because I, yeah, I'm still processing, but I'm very excited for Silent September and, um, yeah, patrons go check out the post in Patreon if you haven't already for the details for how to join me. The Rebel of the Week this week is Shirish Deshpande. And Shirish says, Till the age of 10, I firmly believed that I was a complete newbie beginner in any kind of art, be it painting or writing. One day, my classroom neighbour drew a sketch of a historic figure and everyone in the class admired him. I, being the innocent boy who believed that the world revolved around me, asked my neighbour whether he would draw a sketch for me. You can guess exactly where he told me to go. I was so pissed off with his attitude that in my rage, I went home and drew the picture myself. Good for you! Which turned out to be much better than his. And I realised that I could actually draw. Since then, drawing has been the uh, second only to uh, breathing in my life, (laughs) which I love. I love that. Um, But I didn't believe that I was good with words until I was 35, when I wrote a small script for a short film and tried to get some friends on board to make the film. One of them, who was an exceptional writer himself, berated my script. No one showed an interest. So I went ahead and made a stop motion animation from that script myself. The experience taught me much and I started writing graphic novels and then I started teaching, sketching and painting to people. In 2018, September, I published my first book about the art of sketching. Until now, uh, so up until now, I have now self-published nine English language books about sketching and painting. Eight of them are translated into Spanish and German and four are translated into French. In March of 2021, I was able to leave my full-time job as a business analyst in the IT industry and focus entirely on writing and art. So both the things that shaped my career, art and writing, were discovered when I was really pissed off with somebody. (laughs) I love that. I love that story so much. And I love that you have now um, been able to leave your job and do that full time. Um, And also that you did it in rage, because we all know my default emotion is rage. Well, it's excitement and then probably rage. (laughs) So I love that. So I don't know what happened this week, but we have had a whopping whopper load of new patrons so I am deeply deeply thank you uh, deeply deeply thank you deeply deeply grateful and for everybody who has joined hopefully some of you will be able to join me for silent september um but a huge thank you and welcome to kirsten bussy maggie Monet, lk latham paisley cat and claire l fishback i am super super grateful uh, you guys know that um <laughs> Like your support means everything. You encourage me to keep going. The fact that I have patrons, you know, it makes me want to continue and to deliver more to you guys as well. And we're actually uh, on our way to 100 patrons. I can't quite remember the exact number, um, but we're definitely in the 80s. So I'm thinking I might have to do something extra special for patrons uh, when we hit 100 patrons in the community, in the rebel community, which is absolutely fantastic. I'm... (laughs) 
I actually can't believe that. Thank you so much, guys. Um, and yes, if any of you can join me for the 7 till 8 uh, silent September, please do. I apologise in advance for my zombie face because we all know I'm not a morning person. Um, yeah, and of course, a gigantic thank you to everybody uh, who is an existing patron, especially those who have been with me long term, those of you who have joined me recently, and those of you who've been with me a middle amount of time. I am very grateful to you all. If you would like to support the show and get access to all of the episodes early, as well as bonus content like bloopers and sometimes I do tips and all kinds of things, oh, and Silent September, then you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. That's it from me this week. Um, join me next week for episode 100. <laughs> I will try and make up for it in the intro next week. I don't know what I'm going to do yet, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll try and make up for the fact that I haven't planned something uh, over the next few weeks. Anyway, um, yeah, join me next week for episode 100 and let's dive into the uh, discussion with Matty. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today I am joined by Matty Dalrymple. Matty podcasts, writes, speaks and consults on the writing craft and the publishing voyage as the indie author. She is the host of the Indie Author Podcast and the author of the Indie Author's Guide to Podcasting for Authors, which is on my Kindle. She is also the co-author, along with Mark Leslie Lefebvre, of Taking the Short Attack, Creating Income and Connecting with Readers Using Short Fiction. Matty is a member of the Alliance of Independent Authors, like me, and I will include all of her links uh, in the show notes so that you can connect with her um, after you finish listening. So, hello, Matty. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. This is so exciting. I'm so happy to be here. So, I read Taking the Short Tack, and um, I loved it. I, I came to writing uh, through flash fiction. And, um, well, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, this time around, I came to writing through flash fiction. Um, so I, I have uh, a deep love of flash, but what I struggle with are short stories. And so that's why I'm running the anthology because I, I, I like to force myself outside of my comfort zone. Um, and I really wanted to like embrace this short fiction uh, because it's something you can do that's not novels because novels take bloody forever to like get done. And so it's like that feeling of achievement of doing something short. So that's why I read the book. Um, and I thought it was fantastic. And there were so many ideas in there. That was the thing that I loved the most. And so I am very grateful that you um, decided to come on and talk to me. So can you tell everyone a little bit about you and how you got to where you are today? Sure. So my first foray into the writing and publishing world was with my fiction. So I'm the author of the Anne Kinnear suspense novels and suspense shorts, which we'll probably talk about later, and the Lizzie Ballard thrillers. And I wrote the first Anne Kinnear book back in, I think I started it in 2011 and finally finished it up in 2013 and decided I wanted to go the indie route and uh, then wrote this. So that was the Sense of Death is the first Anne Kinnear novel. And then the second is The Sense of Reckoning. And um, after I had written The Sense of Reckoning, I had this other idea for a story idea, but it wasn't one that really fit into the Anne Kinnear world. So I spun up a second series. Well, at the time I didn't know it was a series. It was gonna be another book featuring a character named Lizzie Ballard that became Rock, Paper, Scissors. And while I was working on that, I said to my 
Anne Kinnear fans, you know, just stand by. I just have this other story I want to get done and then I'll be back to Anne. And then when I finished Rock, Paper, Scissors, I had an idea for, I realized it was going to be a series or, you know, at least a trilogy and uh, had the idea for the second one. So I started that and I was still saying, um, you know, I'm definitely going to get back to Anne, but I realized that I didn't want Anne, uh, Anne fans to have to go years without any new material about Anne Kinnear. And so that's when I started writing the uh, suspense shorts, just to kind of tide the fans over and give them a little a taste of Anne until I got back to her. So I finally finished up the Lizzie Ballard thrillers. That was a trilogy. And then I've gotten back to Anne with uh, two more books in that series, which were uh, The Falcon and the Owl and A Furnace for Your Foe. Um, and then during that time, I got really interested in uh, what I could do with those short stories that I had written. Yeah. And you, you, between you and Mark, you do some absolutely amazing things. And I was like, just giddy by the end of the book. I've got loads of, I think I've put it back now, but I have loads of post-it notes in the book because I, I read the physical book. And nice. so it's literally just, just like sticky tabbed, which is like, I, I always sticky tab everything, but yeah, That's so great. many ideas. So before, I think, because there are lots of different definitions of short fiction and everybody, uh, you know, looks at it slightly differently but there are a few like standard accepted um uh sort of definitions so would you be able to um explain what short fiction means to you um and sort of the different types of short fictions um you know and I guess they're rough word counts yep so we decided to follow the science fiction and fantasy writers of America definition for short fiction so their definition is a short story is up to 7,500 words. A novelette is 7,500 to 17,500. A novella is 17,500 to 40, and they consider anything over 40,000 words to be a novel. So we were um, defining anything up to 40,000 words as following into this uh, category of fiction that we were calling short fiction. And then also you would mention flash fiction. I think in general, that's considered to be under a thousand words. Um, so those were the parameters that we were applying. And so as I mentioned at the start, I find flash, flash fiction quite easy to do. Um, it, it doesn't follow story structure in quite the same way. It, you know, you are supposed to have a beginning, middle and an end, but it's, I don't know, it feels so different to uh, writing a novel that I find it easier than short stories. What um, what advice do you have for writers like me who can't really work out like how much story needs to be in a short story? Well, taking a short tack isn't exactly a craft book. It isn't a craft book at all. I'll, I'll say that up front. So I'm only sharing my own experience with my own short stories versus my novels. But what I found is that with a novel, I usually went into it with a more, a bigger thematic idea. So uh, what's the line between revenge and forgiveness? Or uh, I had a sub story and a subplot in one of them about how do different people deal with and perceive celebrity? And so there was usually this larger driver behind the novel that it was gonna take, you know, 80,000, 85,000, 90,000 words to flesh out. Whereas when I had an idea for a short story, it was usually strictly an event. And so as an example, as sort of a morbid example, my husband and I went on a cruise at the end of 2019 and I got sort of 
obsessed with the idea of what happens when a passenger jumps overboard. And so Anne Kinnear, being a woman who speaks with spirits, uh, I thought, okay, well, you know, what if we put Anne in the situation where she encounters someone who killed themselves by jumping overboard? And so then the, the more thematic things come along with that, but the story is sort of triggered by an event or an idea. Another idea I have that I haven't written out as a short story yet is that I'd love to do one about um, Gettysburg. So I live not far from Gettysburg where the Battle of Gettysburg was fought. And I thought if ever a place was gonna be haunted, it would be the Gettysburg battlefield. So at some point I'll probably write a short story about Anne goes to Gettysburg to either a, a personal trip or she goes there because she's been hired by a client to go and have some communication with the spirits of the soldiers there. So that's the difference for me. And I think that um, one of the things that we considered when we were writing the book, Mark and I, is that there are a couple of things that we call out that really are only good if you have a pretty beefy short story or really only work if you're writing nanofiction. Um, but in general, we tried to make the suggestions we had apply to anything under that 40,000 word uh, divider that uh, science fiction fantasy writers of America have defined. Yeah, I, I and I, I love this, and I yeah I, I I asked the question purely because I you know obviously I read the book and I know it's not craft, but I asked the question because I'm selfish and like I am struggling to just understand like where that line is, and I find it really difficult because all of the ideas that I have end up novel sized I don't know how to have an idea that's not novel sized like I am trying with the with the anthology thing I think I'm gonna end up around five or six thousand words but it's gonna turn into three novels <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, this is the thing it's like the origin story for the for the three novels that are gonna come out of it um but I it just doesn't sit naturally with me like I know it's only a kernel and you're only showing like a small element but I I found it really hard so like I did a um like a bonus epilogue or I suppose if you can call it that um where between book one and two in my series there's a two-month gap so I kind of wrote just like some extra material around the different events that happened and some of the reactions to the end of book one which you don't see because book two starts two months later um but like that didn't really feel like a short story like it definitely had a start and end in terms of like timing but I think really good short stories have like that that whole is more than the sum of its parts feeling like many novels do so that's yeah I'm just I'm desperate to try and like make this short story stuff work I want to I want to figure it out um yeah well it, it it also kind of depends on what you want to do with it and I'm realizing now when I started writing the stories they were four people who were already familiar with Anne Kinnear and her backstory and it was just uh you know the whole the whole storyline is uh Anne is someone who hires out her ability to speak with dead people as a consulting business and so I thought wouldn't it be fun if people got a couple of glimpses into these things that are happening you know in between the big things that deserve a novel some of these smaller things or situations where it's not a consulting engagement she just runs into a dead person and has to do something about it. But then as I went along and I realized that there was an appetite for these stories for people who 
either hadn't yet read the novels or um, had no interest in novel length works were strictly writing it for, strictly reading, you know, like the smaller chunks of short stories, I had to kind of reconsider, you know, how much backstory do I include? Do I make references to characters that the novel readers would recognize, but the short story readers wouldn't? I had to kind of change my mindset. So I think that if you're writing a story that's in between books one and two of your series, then you're kind of by definition writing that for the people who have already read one and two or have read one or are about to read two. You know, you kind of have a sense of who you're writing it for and that approach and the length and the style use probably varies depending on who you want to read it and what you want them to get out of it. That's absolutely, like, that is so true. I, I haven't looked at it like that, but that is so true. And I definitely wrote that stuff knowing that people would have to have read the first book to understand it. Right. Um, Cause it makes like a lot of assumptions. The, the, and funnily enough, the, the short story that I'm writing for the anthology is very much like there is world building in there. And because it is, from scratch anybody needs to be able to to read it and but yeah it's just that I mean I've been reading like lots of different short stories I read um one of um my listeners Scott gave gave me a link to Alex E Harrow who won one of the short story uh like I can't remember if it was like like a Hugo or or the Nebula or something like that you know one of those ones that does short stories and it was only like four thousand words or something but it was exquisite and I learned so much just from having, like, I learned so much about writing from a short story that I never realized I could learn that much, you know, because I've just been studying novels the whole time. And then like, I've read, um, so again, funnily enough, similarly, uh, uh, Melissa Albert wrote, um, now, The Night Country is this, The Hazelwood is the first book, um, which is sort of like this New York set fairy tale world but with all dark fairy tales and they sort of blur into the real world and stuff and then she had her second book which which finished the duology and then she wrote a book of the fairy tales which are are like alluded to in that and that was enlightening and I I adore her writing but I actually struggled to get through the book Hmm. um yeah which was interesting because I haven't struggled to get through other types of short stories so like I've got another one uh, that I'm just about to start reading called uh which is called Vampires Don't Bite which is an anthology a trad anthology but it's got uh, a story from V.E. Schwab in it that's being turned into a Netflix series but the sh- it's the short story that's being turned into a Netflix series wow right exactly which I think is fascinating and so I'm like I need to read it before it like goes on to the, see what they do with it but yeah like this is like there is clearly a market for short stories and so this is why I was like wanted to talk to you okay so I'm gonna stop babbling um because I want to listen to you um okay so how can writers do more with their short stories and so I'm gonna ask you two questions on this so so number one like what marketing tactics um can writers do with their (laughs) this is really incoherent but like what are the marketing tactics that work for helping uh, writers find new readers using short fiction? So I think that for the um, connecting with readers part of creating income and connecting with readers, which is the subtitle of the short tack, it's important to know what you're, you know, what you're looking to do. 
So, you know, as we were just saying, a story that you're writing for to tide your fans over or to bridge them between book one and book two of a series is different than a, a story that you're going to write and submit to a publication where you can pretty much assume that nobody else will be familiar with your work very likely or have, have read novel length works of yours. So the the ways that you can use short fiction in order to reach out to people are, I think the mindset you have to bring is, it's an opportunity to give people a little snippet of what they can get more of if they look across your whole set of offerings. And so Mark had some great stories about going to conferences and having chapbooks made of his short stories that he could hand out. I think in, in one case, he was um, in the running for a, an award, but the you know, the people who voted on it had to have read the story. And so having a chapbook of the short story that he could hand out at the conference in advance of the voting was a way to make it easy for them to have read his book. It, you know, it's a nice souvenir, uh, nicer than a business card. You know, you could hand someone a business card or you could hand them a little book. There are lots of ways you can get stories to people um, electronically using QR codes or links and things like that. And then there are all sorts of venues where you can share that out. You know, conferences is one. Um, I think that the probably one of the most popular reasons that novelists get into writing short stories is that everybody recommends a short story as um, a reader magnet to get people to sign up for your email newsletter. And so, um, you know, having a story that is going to grab people and want them to keep in touch with you uh, is, is a great way to connect with readers. Um, giving them a flavor of what is going to appropriately lead them into your other work is important. So that if you're writing cozy fiction and you decide you're going to write a horror short story, this is probably not a good thing to use in that scenario. It's probably even worse if you give them a cozy short story and it leads <laughs> into the horror novels. That would be even more alarming for them. Um, and then there are other ideas that are more community building and goodwill building than a very direct connection in uh, finding those readers like contributing a story to um, an anthology that's in support of a, of a good cause. So I uh, donated one of my Ankenier Suspense shorts to an anthology that was put out to benefit a local library. And so, and that there was a, a kind of a party and a celebration and a reading associated with that. So that was an opportunity for me to get my uh, work out in front of people and then for them to know that I cared enough about this library to contribute some work to it. And um, there are just all sorts of, you know, you can go on from there. One of the ideas that I really liked for nano fiction, you know, you're writing the, the dozen word story or the hundred word story is, to put that on a postcard if you want to get gigs at bookstores and send it to the bookstore because right there, the bookstore has like a tiny little easily digestible example of your work. And so, um, you know, kind of the, the, uh, the sky's the limit if you can apply yourself creatively to how you can use short fiction to reach out to people uh, and interest them in your work. Yeah, I loved that. Um, Mark Mark did the the postcard thing with a with a tweet, wasn't it? Like a tweet or something that he yeah tweet yeah. the meat. <laughs> oh it, yeah, it was like a, one of the other ones. In addition to that, was a a um, Twitter 
contest about writing a short story in a tweet length. Yeah, I deliverable. thought it was, yeah, I thought it was fantastic. And then when I read about um the the postcards with the bookstore, I was like, oh, that is so cool. I'm uh, yeah. in talks with the local bookstore here. Um and I just thought, oh, that is fantastic. Like, what a brilliant idea to, to do it. But uh, yeah, I, see, this is what I mean. The book is full of fantastic ideas. Okay, so my my part two of that question is mm. how can writers uh, generate income uh, with their short fiction? So I think that the most important thing to keep in mind for generating income is to make sure that you have the rights to use it more than once. And this is something that Mark and I talk about a lot in taking the short tack, but we also very explicitly point people to Douglas Smith's playing the short game because I think um, Doug's book came out maybe 10 years ago, but it's largely focused on traditional publishing. And I think all the information in there is just as relevant today as it was then. And he has uh, great information about what are first rights, what are second rights, the importance of retaining the ability to uh, use work more than once, um, things you have to watch out for. And so if you keep that in mind that the important thing is to keep as many rights as you can so you can use it again, then I think that that is really key to, um, to creating income. And the I think most people's minds go to the traditional fiction market when they think about making money with their short fiction. And when I was working on the book with Mark, I was committed to trying as many of these ideas as I could because I had come to it largely with the experience of having written these short stories and publishing them, them as standalone eBooks for 99 cents on all the retail platforms. Um, but I wanted to, to try all the different methods out, most of which Mark were bringing, was bringing much more experience in than I was. And so, you know, I, I plunged into to the traditional publishing market and I, you know, wrote up a, a new story so I could submit it as a, a first rights work and uh, went to the different submission platforms and send it around places. And I very quickly realized that I just don't have the mindset for doing that. I don't have the mindset for spending all that time looking for who might be interested. And then I'm not, not patient enough to wait for the weeks or months or no kidding years that it can take them to ever get back to you. And then finally, I just found I didn't have the appetite for waiting for somebody to tell me my story was good enough to publish. And so I sort of discarded the, the idea of um, uh, well, in my opinion, if you're looking to make money, then the traditional publishing market is, there are only very few people <laughs> who can honestly go to the traditional publishing market and say they're making good money. You know, you can spend probably dozens, if not hundreds of hours getting your story placed and then get a hundred bucks for it, you know? So mm -hmm. the, the cost benefit ratio isn't, wasn't appealing to me. Whereas I've put my books out for you know, 99 cents a piece. And um, I do very little promotion for them. But over time, you know, they're all taken up. They've in the time they've been out there, they've made 30, 40, $50 for me in royalties on, uh, on one platform and other platforms that I'm having more trouble seeing how much they're making for me. And 
but they're going to be out there forever, right? So I can kind of put them out there and there's this little, uh, you know, one of the many streams of income, a little stream of income coming from those stories. And I can definitely see that if I have like a book book feature deal on a novel, then shortly thereafter, there's an uptick in the sales of short stories because people have probably read through the series and then they get to the end and they still want a little more Anne Kinnear or Lizzie Ballard, if I ever get around to doing a Lizzie Ballard short story. And, you know, they go and buy all the, the short stories at once. So, um, you know, those are two approaches to creating income from my admittedly biased <laughs> attitude about the traditional publishing market and the indie publishing market. Yeah, I think everybody knows I'm wildly biased as well. I mean, you know, I always say never say never. And if the right deal came along or uh, perhaps like selective rights rather than global rights, which is what often happens at the moment, um, you know, or if it was translation rights or something, you know, I'm sure I would go down the traditional market. I'm just not going to give an entire novel or entire piece of intellectual property right when I can make a whole bunch of money for the whole rest of my life and then 70 years after I die yeah so you know I am I am totally with you and I was like trying not to cackle uh, as you were talking because <laughs> I was like yeah preach baby preach <laughs> yeah I mean I think you get you get bragging rights right and and that's not to be discounted I mean there's something cool about if one was able to say, yeah, I got my, you know, my book and an anthology along with these other big names, that's, that's a valuable thing. But is it valuable enough to go to the trouble that you have to go to, to yeah. have that happen? It, for me, it, it hasn't been. No, exactly. And do, do you know what is even better bragging rights? Being able to say that you do this full time. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And actually earning an income from your work, yeah. uh, you know, which is significantly more likely as an indie author, um, you know, that's not to say that you can't earn money from trad. I'm not trad bashing, but it is easier as an indie. Yeah. Okay. What? And there's your, there's only a limited number of slots, right? Um, you know, there are only so many anthologies out there. There's only so many magazines. There's only so many online outlets. And, you know, you have to stand in line for them behind a lot of people with more experience and bigger names. And yeah, exactly. not appealing to me. No, nor, nor me, nor I, whichever way around that is. Okay, what mistakes do you see writers making uh, uh, with short stories? Or indie writers, well, I should say. Yeah, I think that the, um, that the obvious one is selling your rights so that you can't use the, the story on an ongoing basis. And um, again, I'll point people to uh, Doug Smith's book, Playing the Short Game, that um, you know, you're, you're balancing the publisher probably wants the, the most rights for the least amount of money. And you of course want to give them the fewest rights for the most amount of money. Um, so things to look out for there. And then I think just the, the idea that as with novels, a short story is always new to some, some group of readers. And so I always get sad when I see authors of any length work, putting their work out there and then having like the big launch and then saying, well, you know, that's it for that. Now I'm, you know, I'll put that to one side. And I think that I'm, I'm working on my 
indie author manifesto, which is that I think that the benefits of having, of being an indie author are creativity, as in you don't have to be creative on someone else's schedule, Mm -hmm. Um, control, you're not going to get a cover you hate, for example, and care. And by care, I mean that I published the first Anne Kinnear Suspense short, I guess in 2015. And I'm still promoting it. I'm still giving it love. You know, I'm still getting it out there. I was doing um, monthly full moon giveaways for a couple of months and I would um, read one of the short stories or I would read it almost in its entirety. And uh, you know, that first story, Close These Eyes was one of those stories. And you know, nobody else is gonna give it that love but keep getting it out in front of people because it's gonna be new to someone. And look at all the options you have for Um, both connecting with readers by doing that and also connecting with other people, uh, other authors, because there's, you may not want to get in line to see if you can get part to, to be part of a traditionally published anthology, but there's no reason you can't publish your own anthology, you know, round up other like-minded and like genreed people and put together your own. So just going through the whole checklist. And that's one of the things that I like about taking the short tack. You can kind of flip through it and say, oh, you know, here's one. Mm. Um, location-based apps. Who would have thought? But Mark <laughs> has had great success with writing stories that then get translated into like a virtual walking tour. When I read that and like saw the pictures of the app, I literally like my brain melted because I was like, this is so cool. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's fantastic. And funnily enough, I am um, the series that I am, I guess, letting percolate world building at the moment and doing all the research for um, is going to be based locally around me um, in lots of the bigger state and mansion um, houses. I've just secured like like permission, copyright permission to use the actual name of a local um, uh, estate here, which is fantastic because it's still lived in as well. Like, so I had to like properly ask permission and stuff. So yeah, like now I'm like even more spared on. And when I saw that in there, I was like, I'm sticky tubbing this for the future. Cheers, Mark. Because I was like, this is yeah. fantastic. Um, yeah, I loved it. See, see, this is what I mean. There are so many good ideas in the book. <laughs> <laughs> um, and speaking of that, there's a fantastic segue. Um, you've already covered like a few, but are there like any other um, sort of quirky ideas that um, you can tell uh, listeners about? Well, I think we've sort of covered at a high level two of the sections. So creating income, connecting with readers. Those are the two parts of the subtitle of the book. But there's another section in the book called best practices. And we put that at the end, not because it was less important, but that it would make more sense. That information would make more sense by the time you got there. So that included some tips about the logistics of getting a story out there. And as an example, um, since I'm publishing my Anne Kinnear Suspense shorts directly to retail platforms, I'm not following the advice that most professional short story authors give you, which is don't bother getting it edited because the publication that accepts it's gonna be doing their own editing. So I'm not submitting it to a publication. So um, I I have an editor read it, but uh, you know, the editing is far, far less expensive (laughs) than it would be if it were a novel. And often you can find, um, you know, people in a writer's group, 
who can help you out with that. People you've met at conferences, you could, you know, exchange, um, exchange favors to read each other's novels, assuming that you're the readers of that genre of story. And I think that's important because, you know, different genres as with novels have different expectations. Um, cover design. So one of the things that I found was really helpful in my public uh, publishing them as standalones is that I have a, I'll hold up a, a picture. Here's um, my latest novel, A Furnace for Your Foe. My, my eBooks are only available in, um, or my uh, shorts are only available in eBook, but the cover of my novels is always like a central design theme um, with, you know, a certain kind of typeface and so on for the title and the author name and so on. So what I ended up doing is I made a template based on the fonts that my novel cover designer had created. And I would just go to a site like Shutterstock or Unsplash or something like that. And I would get an image that I could use and then I would make my own in Canva. And so when I put this in the book, I cringed a little bit because I'd had this advice forever about don't do your own covers because there's a reason that cover design is like a profession they know what they're doing. But once I had a professional cover designer design the idea of the central theme with this kind of lettering, then it wasn't that hard for me to create professional looking covers myself. So it saved me the expense of, you know, hiring somebody to do that. Um, those were some of the logistical things we covered about things you could do with short stories. And then um, we also devoted several pages to the importance of being an active member of the community. And you can imagine that, um, you know, probably your listeners are, are well familiar with Mark Lefebvre. And if anybody is going to write uh, convincingly about the importance of being a good member of the community, it's going to be Mark. And just the idea that you have all these resources out there, like that person who could read your story to tell you whether it's appropriate for the genre. Uh, like the person in your writing group who might be thinking about putting together an anthology, you know, you can find a lot of these opportunities um, by reaching out to your fellow authors. And in fact, the book came about because I was listening to Mark's Stark Reflections on Writing and Publishing podcast, and he made just a passing reference to uh, short fiction. And I was at that point where I had uh, several Ann Kinnear short stories, and I was trying to figure out what to do with them. And I sent him a note as a patron of the podcast. And I said, you know, I think, I think I would love it if you would devote a whole episode to uh, what you could do with short fiction. So almost immediately he came out with an episode called, I think it was called like 10 things you can do to earn money with your short fiction, but he did 13 cause he's that kind of guy. Mm -hmm. And then I got back in touch with him and I said, you know, I think there's a book here. <laughs> and so you never know where those connections, those reaching out to your fellow authors are gonna take you. And uh, the same is definitely true when it comes to making the most of the short fiction you're writing. Yeah, I I just cannot agree with you more. Like community is everything, especially in the indie world. And so many opportunities and things arise just by talking to other people and, you know, participating and, and being part and parcel of, you know, different 
be it Facebook groups or Slack groups or whatever. So yeah, I love that. I love how that story came about as well. And I just like, I adore Mark. I think he's one of the nicest humans, especially like in the indie world. So yeah, I could like, I could like, I probably giggled when you said, oh, he did 13 and said, I was like, yeah, I can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. Do you have any recommendations for where listeners, like, let's say they want to go and submit a few things traditionally, or at least try uh, before they um, then see all of the marketing opportunities as an indie. Do you have any recommendations for where people can look for submission places? Well, the two that always come up are Duotrope and Rollin, R-A-L-A-N. And I think Rollin is largely for speculative fiction, um, Doug Smith's, um, I think it's smithwriter.com. His site also has information, especially on foreign rights. So that's a whole, you know, that could be a whole conversation unto itself. Um, you could, you and Orna could have a nice conversation about foreign rights on the, uh, on one of the ally podcasts, but, um, uh, he has a lot of contacts there. And then, I think also if you're, you should be a reader of the kinds of publications that you're interested in getting into. And so don't let familiarity put you off from something, you know, if there's a magazine you're getting that you enjoy, then it's probably going to be a good fit for your work. And one of the pieces of advice that Mark and I give, and also that Doug gives in his book is when you're looking at places to submit, start at the top because there's there's no harm in sending it to whatever the big name is um, in your in your area, except the frustration of waiting for them to get back to you. And if you start at the bottom, if you say, "Oh well, I'm a beginner. I you know I haven't really polished my craft, so I'm going to just start with this little rinky-dink one." Well, then guess what? Like you've blown your chance no reputable magazine is ever going to now print a reprint from the Rinky Dink magazine. So start at the top, you know, start with what your goal would be and then work your way down to a certain level. But when you get to a certain level, don't necessarily keep banging away at it. Maybe put it aside and come back to it later. And you might come back to it later and revise it in a way that makes it more appealing. Or you might just hit a different editor, you might hit a different um, gestalt in the market that makes it more appealing. But I would say kind of have your standards and then stick with it because otherwise you're really going to be under utilizing the benefit that you can make of that story. Mm. Okay, this is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell everyone (laughs) about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. So um, this is the question that I agonized over the most because I've heard all the great stories that you share from your readers about the rebel moments. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't have anything (laughs) like that. But um, I will say what I'm sure you have said either explicitly or implicitly that I think the very fact of being an indie author is, is my rebel coming out. So if we think of all the indie authors that are listening to this and um, you think of the people who say they're going to write a book and, and they never do. They never even start it. Or they start a book, but they never finish it. 
or they finish it, but they never do the work that would be needed in order to find the people who are going to love it. And so I think that anyone who's an indie author is, is rebelling a bit against maybe uh, creative expectations or financial expectations. I mean, I left my corporate job in 2019 and it's going to be a Me while too. until I <laughs> keep start making as much as I did there. Um, but, you know, family expectations, all these expectations that are out there. And so I think that, um, you know, I'm going to hang my rebel hat on, on having uh, taken those stances and, you know, kudos to everyone else who's listening, who's doing the same or is on their path to doing the same and, and say that that's where my rebel comes out. Yeah, I love it. I, I completely agree. I think the indie world especially is so rebellious. I mean, we literally buck the trend by saying, no, I'm going to do it my way, myself, uh, you know, yeah. in my own time. And I think there isn't an indie author out there who isn't a little bit deviously rebellious. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I love that you left your uh, day job in 2012, right? That 2012, 2019, that's when I left mine too. So uh, yeah. you, 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 have you done, I mean, is it, did you leave, have, have you done your two years or are you just, are you approaching your two years? I actually, in May, I will, would have been gone for two years. Okay. And yeah. um, my, uh, the company was, um, you know, changing organizations. They, I, I liked my job, but they, you know, reformatted into a position that I wasn't really interested in doing. And there was the opportunity to leave and get a package. So that gave me some runway. And then I think that the other side of the, the rebel side is the practical side, which is that, you know, I got a package which padded my trip into the indie world, but I'd also like saved money for years. And so um, it wasn't, it wasn't like I left. And then the next month, I had to try to pay the mortgage with my book earnings. So, uh, you know, being a rebel is easier if you do the practical <laughs> steps to make it a reality. Yeah, oh, I love it. Oh, it has been amazing talking to you. Thank you so much. I, I really can't tell listeners like how strongly they must go and read your book because it what was fun. fantastic. Thank and, you. Uh, yeah. So tell everyone where they can find out more about you and your books and anything else you'd like to add. Sure. Well, one thing I want to mention is in very good timing, I just had one of my Ankenir Suspense shorts, All Deaths Endure, read by Eric Brian Moore on his Pocket Pulp podcast. So um, that's that's Eric's gig. He solicits short stories from people. So there's an idea for people. Look up Eric Brian Moore's Pocket Pulp podcast as a submission opportunity, but also stop by and listen to Eric reading All Deaths Endure, which is one of the Ankenir suspense shorts. And then um, in general, they can find my fiction work at maddiedowernpill.com. And you'll find all my links to um, mainly on Facebook. Uh, for social media and they can find my nonfiction platform at theindieauthor.com and that's indie with a y fantastic and you also have a podcast that they should check out and i do i would love <laughs> them to do that so i'm gonna i've got all of those links um and I think you've sent me the link for the short story as well. So I'll pop that into um, the show notes as well. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And of course, a gigantic thank you to all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, as well as joining me for Poison and Bros and lots of random shenanigans, then you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. And of course, a giant thank you to everyone listening. I'm Sasha Black, you are listening to Matty Darumpo, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. 
Join me next week when I get to talk to one of my writing BFFs. I'm going to talk to Caitlin Duncan and we will be discussing rights reversion. So for those that don't know, if you have sold some of your rights, be they um, subsidiary rights like audio or translation or um, if you've sold your book to a traditional publisher um, and perhaps you're not selling enough or you've gone out of contract and you would like to get your book back in order to do something with it then you need to listen to this episode even if you haven't sold rights I think you're going to find something in this podcast because I haven't sold rights yet although I do have some deals going on in the background but um, I find it found it very useful from a knowledge perspective um, and things to be wary of uh, should I want to sell rights. Uh, so it came at a really good time for me. Um, and uh, yeah, I highly, highly, highly recommend you read her book uh, just from an information perspective because, oh my goodness me, it gave me so many things to watch out for, so many pitfalls. Um, yeah, I mean, hey, I'm probably slightly biased because she is one of my friends, but I read the book and thought it was phenomenal. It's also jam-packed full of case studies as well, which were like real-life examples that were fascinating. So yeah, I highly recommend that you read both the book and join me next week for the episode. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.